Welcome, everyone, to Contents May Vary. I'm Angie Fiedler Sutton, talking to geeky people about geeky things. I'm a proud fangirl geek with pieces published in Stage Directions, Den of Geek, and Mary Sue, and more. It's been a long time, I know. It's a newsletter is going out that explains why it's been so long. So if you don't subscribe to my newsletter, subscribe to my newsletter at angiefsutton.com. As fans of my website already know, on June 21st, 2022, I participated in a fundraiser for Alzheimer's Association called The Longest Day, wherein I live-streamed interviews from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. to help raise funds for research. My next interviewee was included in that day. My next guest is Josephine Green, and I hope I pronounce this right. Is Zhang? Did I get that right? It's Zhang. Zhang, okay. Like, uh, as... Yeah, like like think of that the Jean sound in Azu, and then you say okay Jean. Okay, that's I, that's what I thought you said with your answer, but it was one of those things where it's like my brain just shut down, and today's been a long day, so I apologize. <laughs> uh, but anyway, she is a TV writer, and her bio says she's a storyteller who aspires to empower characters to rise above their circumstances and create their own happy endings, with a special focus on misfits and flawed funny women. Thank you very much for joining me today on The Longest Day, my fundraiser podcast for Alzheimer's Association. How are you doing today? I'm great, Angie, and thank you so much for having me. You've been on my list for people to interview back before I even took a break, which was pre-pandemic, because your career fascinates me. Just, uh, you know, I've never known someone who's written for TV before. I just, my, my Midwestern self was so excited, and I just was like, to be able to say, we have to watch this series, and we have to watch at least until this episode, because this is the episode my friend wrote. <laughs> to be able to say that and, and mean it was just my, my little... 12 year old self who grew up in a small town that you know had to go two hours to see a movie kind of thing was just and is still in awe that i know somebody who's who's written for television <laughs> and you're too kind we're too kind and thank you for having me i'm so happy to be here and you know, to know you too far. So, um, as uh, for those who may have been tuning in all day, no, I like origin stories, especially for writers. So, and especially for TV writing, that's not exactly something, you know, a four year old, a 12 year old, when they go, what do you want to do when you grow up? They're like, I want to write for TV <laughs> kind of thing, usually. So, tell me kind of how that came about, what inspired you to get in that angle, and, you know, kind of your origin as, as a writer and, and specifically writing for TV. Definitely. Okay. I'll try to. I'll try to tell the fast track version of this because. Well, I always ask that first because that's a good chunk of my first half of my podcast. So <laughs> I'll draw it out. <laughs> well, I'm, um, by the way, curious, Auntie, where are you from? Uh, I grew up in a small town about an hour southwest of St. Louis in Missouri. Okay. Oh, great, great. Okay. But then I spent 20 years in Kansas City and then I have been in LA now for eight years. So. Okay. Um, originally, my my dad is from uh, Wichita. Oh, Wichita! I think Kate yeah. has family in Wichita. Yeah, Kate has family in Wichita. So, yeah, I I actually it's a dream of mine to go visit. I've never had a chance to go in, so uh, to go visit. So I I definitely I have an uncle who lives out there. So cool, a fun trip. But um, very yeah. very flat Wichita and Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> the stereotype is true. <laughs> 
I'm sure there's beauty in, in every, you know, part you get to see. I've, I've only driven through Oakland. Uh, I'm not Oakland. Oh, my God. I'm going to Oakland. That's why, <laughs> that's why it's in my head. I've driven through Oklahoma. I've been yeah. through Oklahoma on a, on a tour bus when I was in middle school. But uh, origin story, back to your question. No worries. <laughs> so I'm born and raised in California. I'm from Pasadena area. Um, I went to Arcadia High School and did most of like by growing up around the San Gabriel Valley. I got into acting first as a middle schooler and a high schooler. Um, and even I'd say like younger, I, I used to like live in these apartment built different apartment buildings around Pasadena and Arcadia when I was little and I used to play like pretend with all the neighborhood kids and I was always the tallest but I always like played the mom <laughs> and you know that eventually like so we'd always play house and like we'd be outside so like no weird hanky panky among kids kind of thing it was just I don't know why I'm saying that <laughs> to get that out there but it was just a way for me to like tell all the kids what to do by playing mom I think and that eventually went my mom would put me in summer school and middle school just sort of like as daycare <laughs> to be honest and like to keep your brain active and I would take improv and then that turned into high school theater I was a big thespian and that eventually turned into like me playing the mom in Brighton Beach Memoirs. I had a drama teacher who like loved making us play like really adult plays in high school. And he, he loved movies too. Mr. Lamb. I still don't know his first name to this day. His name was Mr. Lamb. And he also loved like Brian De Palma. And he had like all these Brian De Palma posters around our like green room. And I, I so he would do these movie adaptations of plays too. And I got to play Lydia in Beetlejuice. Oh, that was, yeah, I know that was the most, the coolest look I had. And I was only like a sophomore at the time uh, in high school. So that was like the coolest role I ever, I ever got. And then I didn't go too far for uh, undergrad. I went to UCLA and I was like, I'm going to pack up this whole like acting thing, writing thing, and try to be like, do a serious major or minor and I was a uh, I was wanted to make my family happy and you know uh, I've been the daughter of like my mom's an immigrant from Taiwan and I have a half brother and half sister or full Taiwanese and then I have a, a brother who's just four years older than me and they were both Hapa I say the word Hapa being mixed Asian and white but also can mean half of anything and I just mean it most respectfully and uh I uh just tried to like, I was pre-law at UCLA and I took every requirement that I could to fill my general education and still didn't know what to do by the end of two years, uh, almost end of two years. And I took a great class over at UCLA in Melnitz called History of American Psalm. And I got to see all these like wonderful 35 millimeter print movies and that was really it you know where like that was my decision like fell into like becoming a film major so I applied to the school I, I mean it was like a mix of watching The Graduate a print of that and uh Singing in the Rain and just all the stuff that I've done in high school like I, I just was so lucky to take like a women in film class when I was in high school like, like be in drama and 
just really be exposed to that. Um, that made me like, but when I put it away, come back two years later and, the, you know, just like the floodgate happened and I applied to film school. And um, I also like, you know, like went through my first heartbreak and my first heartbreak was with like also a film nerd. And I think that made me even more want to prove myself at that young age. So I ended up making my directing my first short film about like my first heartbreak. And it was like a post-apocalyptic world that like was really my sister's family room. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it was fun because at the time when I was, I made it, I was 21 and, and it ended up winning the director's spotlight at UCLA. And that was just such a like pure time of filmmaking because all my friends, we, we just like in film school was just like, a class of 30 there was like 15 of us you know we split it in two we had two groups and we would work on each other's films and like all my friends came up because we my my sister let me film it at her house and she was up in thousand oaks and we drive westwood and we all just like sort of camped there for a week and i remember i accidentally took like i was an undergrad and i took the grad students like dolly because i i took it from the wrong like sound stage and I got so much flack. Like I got holy hell. <laughs> Everyone, like, oh, this undergrad, she like took the wrong dolly. <laughs> like Josephine Green Gang is is the one to watch. Okay, <laughs> I, I like earned a bad ref on accident. But we were already up in Thousand Nobs, which at that time felt like, oh so far, but it's like an hour drive. And you know that was just a really special time that got me to like just feel the beauty of filmmaking and writing and being all in and having that hyper focus. And then later on, you know, what my career to getting into television writing is just when I graduated undergrad and I spent, it was around the time of the recession and it was just such a tough time to work in, to try to get work and break in. I ended up getting into a film fellowship through Film Independent. They put on the Spirit Award. Mm -hmm. And I was a writer-director fellow for a year. And I was one of the youngest in the class at that time. And we made short films for Banana Republic. But I had been like really on my mind, like thinking a lot about, you know, the unhoused and just thinking about the differences in L.A., you know, when you go through it and I had like pitched an idea about, you know, covering that, but it, it was just like, I, you know, the, it was a banana Republic, essentially like commercial. So it didn't work out. You have to like, you know, be in that style. I ended up working on a lot of people's short films right out of undergrad. And I also ended up being an intern on for a few de every development production companies and really learning right also by reading a lot of scripts and I also got the chance to work on an independent film called Mother and Child as an art department and post-production intern and later with the same director as a production uh, PA and so that time after graduate I just really put in a lot of work like being on set and I kind of worked myself out and was just like, oh, I'm not like making enough to survive, you know? And I ended up not having enough time to write. 
And at the time I started to look into a couple of things, like just day job, a survival job. And also I looked through, through like an old veterinary feeling like into applying to getting my MFA. So what ended, I ended up doing was a little bit of both. I actually thought about going to New York and going that route and, and uh, applied to Columbia. They had a really great film program and I had a couple of friends that went through it. And I also reapplied to UCLA's MFA program and they're renamed for their um, screenwriting program. And between the two, I ended up going to UCLA again, just seeing like the best resources were there and it was super focused on writing. And just like some of my biggest idols came from the graduate program. And I had like, you know, stolen their dolly once where I had to like, you know, come back around. So I ended up going to UCLA and Alexander Payne went there. I was such, you know, in awe of his work as well as like, I know Tamara Jenkins like reminds me a lot of his work and she actually went to Columbia or taught in, no, actually she's just in New York. She's just based in New York. But anyways, that like kind of, the kind of films that came out of UCLA's Green Island Corps were what attracted me to the program. So I went back to it and then I also started working like, you know, like a diff- totally out of the film industry to support myself. And that began like my double life where I was like writing and filmmaking and trying to make it independently. And then also just working different gigs that paid the bills and like helped me grow up. <laughs> Essentially, one of my first gigs was actually as a pharmaceutical rep. I was a pharmaceutical rep for six months. I was terrible at it. I went yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I would be as well. You mentioned film independent. I can't remember if you knew this, but I was a screener for the uh, LA Film Festival for their past three, four years before they closed up shop. Uh, so I got to view a lot of the the entries for that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with it. And so the running joke is as much as I, I'm not allowed, of course, to talk about specifics, but in general, I, I always found it interesting that every year had had a weirdly odd theme to the entries. It looked like there seemed to be an overwhelming amount of the same idea uh which was interesting it was like one year it was a bunch of movies about making movies for example and then one year it was a bunch of movies about the immigration crisis and it was just really weird that every year i was like okay what what's this theme gonna be <laughs> and it wasn't i mean i'm sure it was it wasn't intentional it just was it showed kind of trends in the industry i felt to be able to do that what about tv writing and, and writing for tv for, uh, interests you what draws you to it well, I guess that, so to, to talk about television, like how I got into TV writing was actually, I just want to backtrack a little that I did. A, I did a feature writing fellowship. I was a feature writer at first. And then I ended up in this fellowship called the Universal Writers Fellowship that I was paired with a mentor who's just been such an amazing champion for me as a writer and is just like so awesome, Tracy Oliver. And after the Universal Fellowship, we kept in touch and she had, she eventually staffed me on season two of um, a TV show, First Wives Club. And that was my big first, my big first break, really. I had done fellowships and, you know, writing program, but, you know, that first credit on IMDb, there's, there's nothing like it. And 
it was just so so cool to like put all the stuff that I learned to TV writing. And what I love about TV, actually, what first got me into wanting to write for TV, I, I want I write for both, and I love writing for both. I I yet to have credits in writing features, but I have a lot of stuff in the drawers, you know. Yeah. What I love about TV and how it's also like changed it a lot as a landscape is that it allows you to tell the stories of so many characters, especially like in an ensemble. You know, I I feel the biggest difference between TV and features. Now there are some ensemble features, but I'd say it's just more heavy on the first person point of view. You know, it really is about the emotional arc of the one of the main protagonist. They, I would also say, you know, in television, you have the ensemble, but there is like, there's still a lead. There's still like a, a heavier foot on like the one one person going, who, who has the most, uh, the biggest emotional arc, the most to grow, the biggest journey. But you know, you get to tell just like so many different point of views. You get to have the space and the time to serve so many characters, especially characters who haven't been served yet. You know, what I love about TV, the ways that's changing and changing in, in television, you get to see, you get to see like a person's more day-to-day life and that reflects the society we're in, you know, where like a movie is a just, you know, it's too, I guess if it's a Marvel movie, <laughs> which I love, a good three hours, but you know that's it. <laughs> so they each have their strengths and their weaknesses and their, you know, point of views. And I just, I like both of them. The, the other part about, you know, TV writing is getting to write with a room. You know, I think get, not write, to work with a room, to work together, to collaborate. Feature writing can be very, like, I'll have a lot of solitude. And I think at times you need that. At times it's good to have that balance. Hi, I'm Elisa. I'm the creator of Dr. Puppet, and I'm geeking out with Andy Fiedler Sutton. Uh, thank you so much for watching my videos, and thank you for listening. Want to support the podcast and my website? Be sure to rate and review the podcast in whatever platform you use, as well as podchaser.com. You can also support me financially through my coffee account. You can find me there and on various other social media platforms with the handle Angie F. Sutton. You can also find them on my website. Also, as mentioned, be sure to sign up for my monthly newsletter and see links to my social media and all the places you can listen to the podcast and episode transcripts. They are all available on my website, angiefsutton.com. Finally, I want to hear from you. Call my Google Voice number, 424-341-2252, and leave a short message about what you're geeking out about. You may wind up on a future episode. And now, back to my interview with Josephine Green Zhang. TV uh, has gone through a massive, massive change What with the rise of streaming services. And with that, there has been, you know, with streaming services, there actually has been a, an, an ability to be a little bit more creative in the standard TV script. I mean, it used to be you had the, the 30, 26 minutes, if it was a, you know, 30 minute thing and, you know, 50 some, 48 some odd minutes if it was a long one and you had to, have your breaks at a specific time for the commercial breaks. Uh, now, of course, that's not always the case because, you know, a lot of these streaming surfaces are playing with the format. Would you say that that helps? Is limiting? Is just difference? You know, 
I'm a little bit old school about some stuff. I think even without, I know that like, it's amazing that like how, how streamers have really allowed for, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it like, like a lot of different kind of elevated storytelling and feel like, and it feels like you break the mold, but I am like, I'm going to say like, it feels like it breaks the mold, but I'm, I'm old school in that like, everything had the beginning, middle, end, you know, like even things that you take, you take out that it looks like it doesn't have a commercial break, but there's act breaks. Like things are still written to, to act breaks. I, I just, you find them because like, otherwise we just, just, we have an audience, like we need a beginning, middle, end. We just, we think that they're not there, but it's like the analogy I was always like, Hold and like hurry of like if you build a car or wheel usually typically you need you know you have like a you have a structure and just because it has you know four wheels doesn't mean everything can't be different no so, i mean my feeling is it's just like it's great not to have to see reversals <laughs> like except that you you mentioned the first wives club i'm assuming it's based on the same source that the movie was based on yes yes it's a spin-off but then it's also it's world. It's it stars Jill Scott and Michelle Buffet. Um, just a myriad of amazing. I do not have BET Plus, so I have not seen it. But I have seen the original movie, although it's been years, so that doesn't mean anything. Uh, tell me a little bit about that project and and what you've done on that. On season two, I came on as a staff writer, and then I just recently finished up season three as a story editor. And that's just kind of a different hierarchy level, but I'm still considered what, like, I, I, I'm still considered a low level writer on TV, but I just had the best experience on this upcoming season, season three, I wrote at season seven, and we're going to get to see Hazel Rochelle played by, um, Jill Scott, go through her journey of really taking ownership of her career and just like stepping it up to the next level and sort of that like insecurity sometimes we have when we face a new opportunity i know i'm being a little bit vague no i know you can't there, there's only so much you can say <laughs> otherwise as we joked with mickey otherwise the people will come and break in your house and kidnap you away <laughs> hollywood's really really bad <laughs> Never again. Not the one. But well, then that has some some things in common with the uh, one I have seen, Dollface on Hulu, uh, which I loved. By the way, both seasons. I know you were only on. I think you were only on season two, right? Yeah. But um, both of them are very female feminist produced works. I'm at least I'm assuming based off of the movie that First Wives Club is very much a feminist. Uh, the thought, and I know you're very much invested in telling feminist stories. And, and when you were going through Dollface, you made uh, several posts on your Facebook post, a wall about the importance of telling these feminist stories and telling female stories. Talk a little bit about that and why that's important to you, and and maybe some of the struggles that you've come across uh, dealing with that. Because obviously, that's not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's devastating to think. <laughs> But the truth of the matter is, like, you know, we, we live in a patriarchy. It is still a very male-dominated industry. And I think, like, 
you know, for me, may, I, you could tell me you had this like awakening then, but for me, it was like my first year of college that I took a gender studies class. And I feel like that first class that I took just blew my mind about how the way I'm living and just like how so much of what we're so much in media, so much in, you know, the teen magazines that we grew up reading is just like objectifies women. I don't know if it's like what more way to put it, like just like from um, the way that like images, I know that this images cut off women's like head like they're just if you if you like ever take you know like just just that awakening for me and really st stuff with me where I am you know since that age oh, been like I'm a feminist a feminist is really just asking for quality you know between the two between all the genders you know quality of person like where however you identify and I just yeah, I think that that has been a passion of mine since that age, like realizing how women and women identifying people have just been, I don't know, like subjugated. And it's just another way of like, I mean, in terms of like career, I've definitely had moments where you fell. I don't really want to like rehash trauma right. <laughs> or instance of, instances of like, wow, this you know, I think the first time that I worked, I walked on a professional set that I, as a recent grad, walked on different professional sets. I was just like struck by coming from film school where it's majority women who are students and winning awards. And you can see this like in the film festival. Sometimes there's like almost parody. Like you're like, oh, this is there. There are so many amazing women who are talented storytellers. And then you see the actual numbers and you see how there's not that many working women directors. You know, I think the numbers have gotten better and there's like definitely initiatives that are helping that. But I had a friend who made a documentary actually named Amy Adrian about like interviewing different women directors. And at the time, the year that it came out, it was something like 2%, you know, and I'm like, I, I hate to be it's a dated statistic, but it's like not that much better yeah and and so like inclusivity and just like you know talking to you a little bit about gatekeeping experiences that i had grad after graduating where it was like tough to just get into the assistant pipeline and there's an assistant you know from film school to working like what is the pipeline there and you can just get caught in a cycle of like working for free working for free and being exploited and you know, like that is especially hard, just like, just for women, you know, on top of like, just so many things, <laughs> it's just so many things, like where to start. But, um, and, and it's just like women getting to tell uh, women's stories and especially women of color getting to tell women, you know, to tell their stories and your own stories and different, like, you know, I just really believe in, you know, the richness of inter intersectionality and of just like being women in have the power to tell our own stories and what that does for our confidence and our self-esteem and just like how we move well, you know? 
with these two specific situations, did you seek them out? Did they seek you out? How did, I mean, because these are both obviously feminist pieces, but obviously there's other work out there. And unfortunately, most of it is not this kind of work. Tell me kind of how, how you got involved. I mean, was it something that you searched out for or is it were you lucky? A little bit of both. Well, I mean, I think that originally, like the stories that I wrote independently, call that on spec, when you're not paid for it, like stuff I wrote out of school um, in between, like my first feature, not my first feature, but the feature that got me into the Universe Writers Fellowship is about two best friends who go on a road trip to Canada to like, you know, lose their virginity right out of high school. And they go to meet their Canadian boyfriend. So imagine they, they tell everybody. My boyfriend in Canada. <laughs> my girl, my boyfriend, my boyfriend in Canada. And it's called oh, Canada. And it's like, you know, like for me, that was like the female friends I grew up with. Like I just, I, as a kid, like had my best friend, you know, who were all girls. I feel like I was a girl's girl. And, and like, what, like I was not allowed to date. Like my mother told me when I was a kid, you can't date till you're 30. Then it's like, I'm 18 in high school. So why aren't you like with a boyfriend? I'm like, I'm still confused. I was, I wasn't all, you know, but it was that another thing but I really because of that like treasured my female friends they were like family to me they definitely helped me through a lot of growing pains and assimilating to this or like just just like because because my mom mostly raised me you know my mom raised me and so like I just like sometimes there was a delay in like even though I'm I'm born here I'm an American but like there's just sometimes things I'm like, oh my gosh I never I said the word crocheted wrong till I was like 19. I said like crotcheted and my my college roommates like made fun of me. And like, we all have like a thing like that's like that. But sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't know that <laughs> because, because it just like passed over me. But at the same time, you know, I feel like I learned a lot about like rock and stuff where my dad, like, <laughs> like, like I had definitely a white dad influence. <laughs> You know so much about the Beatles. I'm like, I'm <laughs> and like Tom Petty. Um, but okay, I'm like back to the question. Uh, I mean, I I think that you know me growing up with a lot of best friends who women and like my close female friendships always inspired me to write stories that happen that around that. And um, I wrote a female friendship script called Grown Ass Women. And that script, it, it's about four friends and navigating love, life, and career. It's actually in the lead is a podcaster who talks about love and relationship. Go uh, podcasting! <laughs> and, um, you know, that, pro that project is actually what ended up being really so in aligned with For Swipes Club and also Dollface. So, you know, I think, like, for those who are, you know, out there, like, writing... And wanting to like i feel like knowing what you like knowing yourself and like writing in that voice and that will find that will find alignment with voice, the kind of voice you have will align with the kind of show that you would be on you know How, most hopefully that's like the dream so i think just finding in and honing those stories that you have organically in you and that you want to tell you just because when I wrote that script for an ass woman, I had no idea, like, I would be on First Wife Club. I had no idea I would be on Dollface. But they're just so in alignment, like, that 
it is about flawed women who are navigating their careers and also like just learning that they are and owning that they are fuck uh, they are mess ups. All right. No, no, we can keep it. We, the, I ask what your favorite curse word is. And we've had fuck on air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it ended up that I, like I said, my first, first wife club, like I met Tracy Oliver through the Universal Writers Fellowship and she brought me on, you know, about two, two years, two and a half years after I'd finished that. So, you know, I had no idea, but it was, you know, I think that like it, that is just a testament to, keep working at your craft, keep, keep writing and stuff. And to also just like be kind to people, you know, find, find ways to make yourself like helpful and useful. I work as a researcher for her, for a freelance sometimes. And I think sometimes you have to humble yourself and take those jobs, but you don't know, take the jobs that you're going to like be so good, good at and learn something from, but you just don't know what you're capable of. And when that, opportunity happens you'll rise to the occasion you know and i and i think that's something like why just as women like we have to like we always i mean I, i'm speaking for myself in that and a lot i think there's a lot of women are like this too it's like we're we feel like we have to be perfect before we try for something but you know we don't have to be perfect we can learn and we can rise to the occasion and we'll change and we'll grow and like also I write stories like that, that we are going to change and grow and like learn to believe in ourselves. Cause I think so much of the world like ships on us. So we can't shit on ourselves. <laughs> well, that, that actually leads into my next question. It's, it's something that I'm, I'm fairly certain I know the answer, but I still want to hear you say it. Um, you know, create their own happy endings. Why happy endings? I mean, there are tragic endings out there. There are bad endings. So why are you, why do you want to focus on happy endings? I, I, I mean, I, I, there's just so much tragedy in this world and I'm not trying to like advocate toxic positivity, you know, but I, I think like we acknowledge and process our trauma and like the hope is that we feel, you know, so that's like, I, I feel like if we can write something and, and if I can tell a story where our characters get to heal, like how amazing is that for us? Like how inspiring is that for us? Like that we are capable of this, we are capable of all we can imagine, you know, that's the only thing that limits us. And I think, what, why shouldn't we give ourselves that gift? Uh, like, you know, if you're so, so identified with the different characters, it's just like, you know, I wish for my, you know, my, my immigrant single mom, the happiest ending that I could like give her, you know, I wish I could give her all the things that she didn't have, you know? And so like, to me, it's like, I just, I write these stories for like the wrongs that so many people have had to process and just like hopefully give other people hope because there's a new day, you know, like some of the things that my mom didn't get to have, like in me and in her children, like we get to have, you know, the fact that I get to do this for a living, you know, and this is going to sound a little like immigrant guilty, but I mean, like the she's, she sacrificed so much and like, to this day, I'll go visit her and she'll be like, do you need gas money? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a grown woman, mom. But she just, you know, like she still had that like love. And and so like, I just want to write stories that like, em like embrace the love that I got and, you know, pass it forward. In the end, I mean, it's a rocky road to get there. <laughs> we all have lots of lessons and things to process, but I think we can all, we, we always have to have 
you your, your bio that you sent me also says that you are a rotating podcast host yourself. First of all, is this the first time you've been on the other end of the microphone? <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not. Not to, I've been on the other end only maybe like three times. Okay, I, I, I thought you had done other interviews, but I wasn't sure. Um, what is some of the things that you like about being the interviewer? What are some of your favorite questions uh, that you like to ask? Um, like I said, I like to ask process questions and origin story questions. What are, what are you th- What are the things you look out for? Oh yeah, I'm. I definitely ask a good origin story. You know, we need that origin hero, origin villain. Got to start there. Also, I love to ask where someone's from. I think like knowing your city and your hometown, it, where you've lived, traveled, like for long periods, like more like lived shapes you. Some of your favorite authors, what you're watching now. Yeah, those those have been really like really uh yeah I. I'm mostly, you know, steal from James Lipton. I'm just <laughs> that's 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 uh, I steal from James Lipton myself. One of these days, you need to talk to me about your unproduced animated action kung fu fantasy that you've got that you mentioned in your bio. That sounds amazeballs. <laughs> I did have the opportunity to co-write this project with a wonderful director. He had worked out of Pixar for a long time, and you know. It, We'll see. We'll see where we're going. Before we go into my uh, lightning round James Lipton's uh, questions, was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't or anything that you thought I was going to ask that we didn't? I always like to try and end, let the, the person give any last minute things that they felt we hadn't covered appropriately. I think, no, you've done a really great job, I guess. I think more men need to share their abortion stories. <laughs> That's something that I've heard. I love women sharing their abortion stories. I think... You know, or non-binary, everybody under this, everybody under the sun who's been impacted, like, let's share, like, our abortion stories. Let's start an abortion monologue. Definitely. No, uh, no, that is definitely a thing. Now, um, uh, where can people find you for more information if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, um, I'm I'm on all the handles. Is uh, My name is Joe, so J-O, Joe Green, John, Z-H-A-N-G, so... On me on IG on Twitter, are you on are you on TikTok? Yeah, oh, okay. So on TikTok, TikTok, I am MC Camels or no? That's you. Okay. <laughs> you know how the profile pictures are so small; it's sometimes hard to tell who's who. <laughs> so my my like you know I have a I'm on my goofy side. My goofy side is that I'm MC Camel Toe. That's my that's my that's or that's my cousin. Okay. Uh, <laughs> me uh, mc camel so but tiktok blocked like it's censored the word camel so i so i can't like spell camel toe like first of all let's like talk about some um benefits rights let's let me spell out the camel toe but um so for now you can't you can find me as mc camel toe but there's no in camel <laughs> well oh not there i post um like just songs and dancing. And then you also have a website, but you said it was outdated, but still I'm sure it will eventually be updated. So what is your website? Oh, my website is my full name, Josephine Green Jong. And it's gonna be a place that I put up my shorts and the just like different media that I that I've worked on and put up. So my original stuff. So And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to Josephine Green Zhang for being interviewed. As always, any URLs mentioned are in the show notes for this episode on my website. 
That includes a donation link to my Alzheimer's fundraiser. Thanks also to Elisa Stern for the mid-show plug. I interviewed her in episode 46. This is Angie Fiedler-Sutton. From one-on-one interviews to red carpets and conventions to roundtable discussions, I bring you a little bit of everything. After all, contents may vary. Thanks for listening to Contents May Vary. The theme song is Schoolyard Days by Yari Pitnikin, available via the Free Music Archive. More information about the podcast is available on my website, angiefsutton.com.